Well, hello, it's good to be here. I hope you're having a little bit of fun. It's okay to have a little bit of fun in church, right? It's okay. Warms my heart as a youth pastor to see kids getting baptized. I get tears in my eyes. It's just a, it's a wonderful thing. And, and the other thing I love to do, I love to work with other people who work with students as well. And that's why I have up here with me. We, our ministry is a lot of volunteers and actually our ministry would not run without volunteers. And so we are always looking for people. And if you feel that you would like to serve Go to the back. There's a table there. There's some information. We'd love to uh, discern with you if student ministries would be a place for you. But I have both uh, Brody and I have Banny here. Banny serves in Riptide. He is actually my son's small group leader. And uh, I've had Banny for many years and he's served in Riptide for many. And uh, I just was wondering, Banny, what what made you get involved in uh, Riptide in the first place? Well, I was drawn to serve in student ministry and Riptide in particular as a result of my own experience going through a program as a student. You see, all the youth leaders, actually, especially Pastor Mark here, uh, really helped me to grow in my walk with Christ. And especially during the Harrison, the Harrison mission trips, where I really started to, to develop a servant heart, and I really went to give back to the ministry that taught me so much. You know, my riptide years were very foundational for me in my growth and development, when going off into university. And so I want to make sure that the future students also develop a strong biblical foundation for when they go off into university and beyond. That's great, Banny. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I'll I'll slide you five bucks later for saying all this. And this is Brody, and Brody also grew up and came through our church. He's also interning at our church now. He is a Generate member as in that age group, and he also serves right now in Riptide. Um, and just wondering maybe uh, if you could say, what, what's your greatest joy in serving in student ministries? Yeah, both in Generate and in Riptide, I'd say the greatest joy that comes from being in service, being involved, is seeing the joy of others as they discover Christ and recognize the depth of his beauty and are amazed at who he is as they learn to walk with him and with other Christians along the way. Awesome. And I'm going to ask both uh, one more question, and so you can think about it a minute while I ask Banny. If there is somebody out here right now just kind of feeling a nudge in their heart, thinking, should I get involved in student ministries? They're not sure. What would you say to them? What kind of advice would you give? Well, first I would say definitely pray about it and see if that's where God really is leading you. But also, get in touch with the youth pastors in charge of each ministry. That way you can spend maybe a week or two in each ministry as an observer, see which ministry is the best fit for you. Awesome. Brody? We have a really good uh, set team already of leaders that we can grow with. So if you're interested uh, and you're a little bit nervous, the best thing you can do is come out with a friend because then you're not alone and we get two leaders for the price of one. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. That's awesome. Thank you very much, guys. I just want to say before I start my message today that uh, I just want to thank Willingdon Church uh, for putting their money where their mouth is in a sense and resourcing student ministries. They've always had a heart for students. Uh, Myself, I grew up here as a student and got baptized right here, uh, just like many of these students. And I've, uh, I've loved youth ministry so much that I've never left it. So uh, it's just really great to have church leadership and elders that support us in such a way. So thank you, Willing and Church, for that. Well, I want to start today asking you a few questions. You don't have to answer them uh, out loud, but what was the first thing you did 
when you got up this morning. So what did you do first? Did you get a cup of coffee? Did you reach for your phone and check your Facebook to see uh, who liked, poked, or commented on your status uh, overnight? Did you hop in the shower first, or did you eat breakfast first? Did you brush your teeth before or after you ate? If you shaved, did you start on the left side of your face or the right side of your face? And socks, you got two feet, so same question. Which one first, the left or the right? When you drove to church this morning after getting ready, did you drive the same route that you take every week? When you entered the church, did you come in the same door? Now I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. This is audience participation. Are you right now sitting in the same section that you sit in every week? Put up your hand if you are. Yeah. Many of us are, right? Well, we're known as creatures of habit. Most likely, we follow similar ways of doing things every day. Our lives are filled with them. Although we might think that routines and habits are similar, I actually think that they're vastly different. You see, the definition of a routine is this. A sequence of actions regularly followed. A fixed program performed as part of a regular procedure rather than for a special reason. Some of the synonyms used to describe a routine are things like standard, regular, customary, normal, usual, ordinary, and typical. Sounds pretty bland, doesn't it? Pretty drab, if you ask me. But the definition for a habit, on the other hand, is a recurrent, often unconscious pattern of behavior that is acquired through frequent repetition. A habit becomes part of us. It's an automatic response. A routine is something we force ourselves to do, but a habit is something we live out in our lives unconsciously as part of who we are. Well, today we're continuing our series, Amplified, and we're now turning to look at the five E's of our church's ministry philosophy. These are five verbs that we want every believer to live out in their lives, and not just to make room and program a routine in, but to actually live out in their lives. We want them to become dynamic, life-giving habits that are lived out as followers of Jesus. The first E that we're going to look at in our time together today is the word exalt. The word exalt can be found both in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, and it means to lift up, to raise up. Specifically in the New Testament, the word also means this, to raise to the highest rank and power. Some of the synonyms that go along with exalting God are magnify, adore, love, praise, worship, celebrate, glorify, revere, and honor. When we exalt, we are raising the name of Jesus up to the highest rank and power as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The word that we most closely align with exalt is the word worship. And I will be using those interchangeably in my message today. You see, the definition of worship is this. It's, it's homage rendered to God, which means special honor or respect, which it is sinful to render to any created being. Exalting God is giving him the honor and respect he is due in our lives. Last week was Easter, and we had a glorious service here, you know, exalting the name of Jesus and his resurrection. As I sat in the service, I was overwhelmed with everything happening here on the stage. The music, the singing, the message. It was truly a wonderful day of exalting the name of Jesus. 
And we're truly fortunate to have the resources and talent and expertise that go into such a wonderful time of worship. But what about the rest of the week? It would be great if we could patch, package up Pastor Ron and the bands and kind of keep them in our back pocket and you know, pull them out whenever we want and have a worship time. This is not reality. We can't do that. Although you can go to willingdon.org and you can stream some of the music there if you want to and listen to it regularly. But, but, it, but we can't just have a big worship service wherever we are all the time. I know for me on Sundays, I'm often rushing to get here. Sometimes my mind is full of other things. Sometimes I'm getting ready to teach downstairs and that's on my mind. Or there's other things I'm distracted by and I'm sure that my worship can become a routine instead of what it's meant to be. And I'm sure I'm the only one that feels that way. That would never happen to any of you, right? I I think we all can feel that way once in a while. Worship becomes something we do once a week at a service, but are starved for or neglect to do the other six days of the week. It's my hope that as followers of Jesus, we can have a dynamic life of praise, exalting Jesus in our lives, not as a routine, but as a regular life-encompassing, life-giving habit that we can't go without. In John chapter 4, we read a very popular story, the story of the Samaritan woman. It's a very interesting passage that highlights the smoldering tensions between Judea and Samaria due to race, religion, and centuries of political fights. A first century reader would barely expect Jesus and the woman to even acknowledge each other's presence, much less speak to one another. Although going straight through Samaria is the most direct route and traveling from Judea to Galilee, the most devout Jews would take the extra effort to go all the way around Samaria altogether to avoid the possibility of defilement. See, I believe that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Actually, our text even says he had to go through Samaria. It's because he had a divine appointment with the distressed, ostracized, and to use a word that we use today, bullied woman. He spoke to her about life-giving water that only he could give. He spoke to her honestly about her sin and told her that he was the Messiah. Her life was changed that day. She changed from what she thought of herself as trash to what God's view of her was. And that was to a treasure. And then from a treasure to a trumpet, because we read that later she went and many Samaritans believed because of her testimony. It's one of the most powerful one-on-one interactions that Jesus has with anyone in the New Testament. I encourage you to read it on your own later today or later this week. You might be asking, why am I outlining this story when we're talking about exalt? It's because in the midst of this passage, the Samaritan woman asks a very important question about where the proper place to worship was. Was it in Jerusalem at the temple where the Jews worship or was it at the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim? Jesus answers her with one of the most powerful statements about worship in John 4, 21 to 24. He says this, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. In this one statement, Jesus reconciles everything under him. Race, religion, politics, and worship. 
Jesus is ushering in a new age and a new understanding where people will not have to travel to a physical temple to worship, to be able to worship there, but, but they can worship God in every place because the Holy Spirit will dwell in them. Worshiping in spirit and truth is worship that has no physical boundaries of location, of time. It's empowered by God and informed by the revelation of God given to us by the one who is truth. That's Jesus Christ. John Piper says it this way. Worship must be, a, must be vital and real in the heart. And worship must rest on a true perception of God. There must be spirit and there must be truth. Truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy and a church full or half full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affection for God, rooted in truth, are the bones and marrow of biblical worship. It's important to understand that worshiping, exalting God is more than a location, a feeling. It's more than a mere singing. True worship happens in our hearts and our minds and actions when we are reconciled to God through the cross. Therefore, lifting high the name of Jesus, giving him his due worth in our lives. Exalting God can and should take part in our entire lives throughout the day, not just once a week. It's important for the Christian to exalt on a regular basis because when we exalt, it reminds us of four fundamental truths. The first one is this. Exalting God reminds us of our position. Reminds us of our position. Now, beside that on your outline, you've written in the word position, I want you to write this, something else. I want you to write our worth. In Revelation 4.11, it says this, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You see, we serve an all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present God. You might have heard these things before as omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. We serve this omni-God, and when we exalt him, it reminds us of something in return. Reminds us of our position. And here's a big theological word for you. Reminds us that we are omnipuny. That's from the Hebrew, I think. It's not. Made it up. It's okay. But it reminds us that we're omnipuny in comparison to this omni-God. You see, the problem is we like to actually exalt other things. Sometimes ourselves. Sometimes, and a lot of times, it's other people, for instance. We like to exalt them. The celebrity in our culture has been exalted much higher than they ought to be. Their opinions, ideas, products are widely accepted for no other reason than they are celebrities. When you think about it, we even have Christian celebrities that we try to exalt higher than we ought to sometimes. Craving new ideas or new understandings and new ideologies ideologies have have been exalted as well. Or, or how about even technology? I'm not saying that new ideas or technology are inherently bad. But when we exalt those things or anything for that matter and give them our ears, our minds, and hearts over giving them to God, then it is sin. Our worth should not come from our work 
or our position or our money or our possessions. Our worth doesn't come from anything we do, but only from what Christ has done. The resurrection changed everything. If you have accepted Christ as your forgiver and leader or as your Lord and Savior, then you are this. You are adopted. You're a child of God. You're made alive. You're accepted. You're free. You're called out. You're a new creation. You're justified. You're saved. You're redeemed and you're forgiven. Those are the reasons we have to worship and praise God. And exalting Him on a regular basis helps us to remind us who we are and where we find our true worth. It reminds us who God is in our life. The second thing is this exalting God reminds us of our priorities. Of our priorities. Now, beside that word priorities, I want you to write our weight. Okay? Don't write a number. I'm not asking for your actual weight. Uh, I want you to write the word weight. What's one of the questions that we love to ask people when we find out they've just had a child? We like to ask them maybe what the name is. Is it a boy or a girl? But right in those first few questions, we ask this, how much did it weigh? Right? It's one of the most popular questions to ask. I don't know why. Well, I kind of guess why. It's because we believe weight has value. Weight equals health. Right? It relates to its health. By the way, I did a little research on this. and In the Guinness Book of World Records, the largest baby born, by the way, was to a Canadian woman, uh, was 23 pounds, 12 ounces. Yeah, every service groans when I say it. I know. It's huge. Uh, but we, we kind of align weight with health for babies. Or what about things that are other things that are valuable to us, like precious metals? Well, they're weighed and have value and measured for their purity. If an idea is important or thought-provoking, it's considered a weighty idea. Things with value have weight. So if we say we value God, what kind of weight does he have in our daily lives, in our daily decisions? Exalting God regularly helps us to prioritize our lives, giving God weight in our lives. You see, I love how the Apostle Paul's mindset just, just changed in the New Testament once he met Christ. You know, in Philippians 3, 4 to 9, it says this. This is talking about before he met Christ. If anyone else has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see, Paul worked hard to get where he was as a Pharisee. He would have been at the top. He would have been the cream of the crop. But then he met Christ. He goes on to say, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, Paul had it all, humanly speaking, but we, when he met Christ, none of it mattered anymore. None of it had weight anymore. His entire outlook on life changed. His priorities changed. Knowing Christ turned all of them on their head, and he considered them all rubbish or garbage compared to Christ. Just as we tend to exalt other things and other people instead of God, we tend to also mix up our priorities, don't we? We put our jobs before God when we work so hard that we don't have time to be with God's people 
or to spend time with God. We put our reputation before God and we keep our faith a secret for fear of what people will think of us. We put our health before God when we regularly make exercise and health a daily habit, but our devotional life and care for our spiritual health is sporadic to non-existent. We put our money before God and question His provision and power when we don't tithe or hold back our tithe or put it towards other things because of fear or greed. We put sports above God when we're more concerned about our games, our stats, and our standings over faith instead of what Paul says in the New Testament, running the race with perseverance and fighting the good fight of faith. We put education before God when we're more concerned with the grade and not the godly life. My parents need to say that I would rather your son or daughter get straight C's in school and share in the eternal life God gives to all who receive Christ than to receive straight A's and spend an eternity separated from the loving God who created them and desires a relationship with them. You need to do everything you can to make faith a priority and give it weight in your home. When I was young, my parents did something that I, I still thank them for today. And I played football. I don't know. I, I was kind of built for football. I, I wasn't great at long distance running for some reason. Um, you know, I'm built for comfort, not speed. That's what I like to tell people. Uh, but I played football. And, and because of my build and size, and, and they, I did pretty good at it. And I really, really enjoyed it. I even started gaining some of my worth from playing football. But my parents made a decision long ago, and, I, and I'm so thankful for it. They would always look at me and say, God before the game. God before the game. And what that meant was that some of my games were on Sundays. My parents always said, you know what? We just go to church on Sundays. That's, that's what it is. We'll get you to your game, but we're going to go to church first. You know, as a teenager, I was a little hot about that. I was a little upset. I wanted to play. It meant a lot to me. But you know what? After the first couple times, I realized that's just what, who we are. That's what we do. That's what our family did. That's what it meant to follow God. And so I can remember... Back in the day, finishing service, running to the washroom here at the church, getting dressed in my football outfit and all my pads and and gear, and racing to the car to get driven to my game to make it by halftime. Those are great memories for me. But you know what it did? It instilled in me priorities. And and the way I think about life and the way I think about God and the weight I put those decisions, it started way back then. You know, sure, I was upset at first, but... After a couple times, it didn't matter. And you know what? My coaches were a little choked at first, but they got it too. After a couple weeks, that's just what we did. And you know what? They greatly respected us for that. I know they did. We get our priorities out of line when we put temporary earthly things above the eternal things that really matter. Exalting God regularly helps us to get our priorities right, reminding us to give God the due weight and worth in our lives. Number three, exalting God reminds us of our purpose. Exalting God reminds us of our purpose. Now, beside that, I want you to write our work. Okay? Exalting God helps to answer the age-old question of what is the purpose of life? I like how the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it. The question is, what is the chief end of man? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The Israelites, they had the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, or the books of the law. In the Torah, one of the most influential prayers is found in Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, called the Shema. The Shema is a Hebrew word for hear that begins the most important prayer in Judaism. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses or of your house and on your gates. The Shema prayer is so influential and important that Jesus actually uses it in the New Testament, as the beginning of one of his answers to a scribe asking what is the greatest commandment of all. In Mark 12, 28 to 30, it says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Sound familiar? And he continues, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Even today, Christians can look to the words of the Shema as a wonderful expression that the Lord is the one true God. As we acknowledge his lordship, our response remains to hear him and love him with all our hearts, our soul, and our might. Wayne Grudem uh, has to say this about worship in his book on systematic theology. He says, worship is a direct expression of our ultimate purpose for living. Our ultimate purpose for living is to love God with everything we've got, with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Once again, too often we mix up our jobs with our purpose. I just want to say to you right now that your job, what you do for a living is not your purpose. Your small business is not your purpose. Your engineering job is not your purpose. Your medical job is not your purpose. Your work in retail is not your purpose. You can put whatever job you want in that blank. It is not your purpose. God is much more concerned with who you are and your relationship with him than what you do for a living. My job as a pastor is not my purpose. Instead, I call it my platform It's my platform for living out my purpose of loving and exalting God. We need to see our jobs as platforms, helping us to fulfill our purpose of loving God with everything we've got. You might have heard of this person, Johann Sebastian Bach. He's written a few popular tunes back in the day, the 1700s. He said this, he said, All music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. He headed all his compositions with JJ, the initials for Jesus Juva, which means Jesus help me. And at the end of all his compositions, he had SDG at the bottom, the initials for Soli Dei Gratia, which means to God alone be the glory. He used what he did as a platform to exalt God. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to go to my father's retirement. He'd worked in the Vancouver School Board for his entire vocational life, first as a teacher and then most of it as an area counselor. He came to faith when I was very young, and he had a non-wavering faith, and he, he grew in his faith, and he became actually a, a leader in our church, an elder, and I'm very proud of him for that. But, but that day of his retirement, I wasn't proud about his leadership in the church. You know what I was most proud about? Him living out his faith in the real world. Colleague after colleague would come up and share stories about working with my father. And a number of them brought about and talked about his faith. I was so proud of him. See, my dad loved God with his 
heart, his soul, and his strength. And it couldn't be contained. It was his purpose to love God with everything he had. And guess what? When we do that, it just comes out in our job. It does. Leads me to my fourth point. Exalting God reminds the world that there is a God to praise. Reminds the world that there is a God to praise. I want you to write beside that our witness. I have a friend, uh, and I love her testimony. She grew up in a, in a neighborhood in California where, the, where in the neighborhood there was a large church. Now, my friend, their family did not know God. They had no desire to know God, and it was not a happy home. There was a lot of stuff going on. It wasn't, wasn't a place with a lot of joy. But every week, they would hear music coming from the church. Every week. And, you know, as they prepared for their services and led their services, they would hear these songs. After month, after month, after month, and over time, one day her mother came to her and said, get ready, we're going to church. And my friend was just surprised. She said, mom, why? And says, I don't know, but those songs, they sound happy. The songs sound happy. Isn't that crazy? In their world of sadness, where they had no joy, they recognized the, the joy that comes from Christ in those songs. They gathered up their family, went to the church, and after a number of weeks, their family accepted Christ. And my friend is still a believer today and exalts God there. Isn't it amazing what can happen when we exalt God? This past weekend, we had multiple services filled to the brim where we exalted Jesus through songs, testimonies, and the sharing of the gospel and the good news in Jesus. My hope is that as many people as possible who didn't know Jesus or don't know Jesus, the people that attended, that they would turn to him as a result of what they heard, what they saw. God can use our praise to call people to himself. When you exalt Christ in every area of your life, the people in your life who don't know Jesus can observe the joy that you feel. They see how you respond to God's word, where you get your life, where you get your encouragement, where you draw your strength in tough times, giving them hope that they can receive the same thing in Jesus. When you exalt Christ in your life, with your words and your actions, people take notice. When we exalt God, we're actually celebrating him in our lives. And Dallas Willard says that when we celebrate, uh, we enjoy ourselves, our life, our world in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty and goodness. We concentrate on our life and the world as God's gift to us. In closing, Why is it important to exalt? Because God deserves our praise for all he has done through Christ Jesus. In Philippians 2, 8 to 11, just reminds us all that he has done. It says, in being found in human form, he, which is talking about Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is it important to exalt? Because it helps us reorient our lives. It helps us reorient our position, our worth. Helps us reorient our priorities, the weight that we give things in our life. It helps us reorient our purpose and what we do and how we live our life. It helps us reorient our praise, which is, can be our witness. Are you a one hour a week worshiper? 
Has worship become routine for you? Then we can confess that to God and ask him to fill you with your, his spirit and give you a renewed passion. How many touch points do you have with God each week? I bet there are more opportunities than you think to exalt God and worship him in your life. It's not about a place. It's not about a style. It's not about a song or even a specific time. It's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. Consciously and consistently lifting up the name of Jesus all week long. Let the worship services at Willingham be a starter or a primer to a wonderful week long of worship. Maybe you've come here today and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus and begin to exalt Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then I encourage you to visit the Welcome Center just through the doors once the service ends and there'll be people there to meet you, listen, help answer questions. My prayer is that we'll be a church that worships in spirit and in truth, making it a wonderful habit to exalt Jesus, celebrating him in every area of our lives for what he has done, living to please him and lifting Jesus' name high on a regular basis for the world to see. Psalm 34, 1 to 3 says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Please stand with me for closing prayer. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that worships you and exalts you with our entire lives. Lord, you are the only one worthy of our praise, and I ask that you would grow in us a desire, Lord, for your presence. Help us to put ourselves down and lift you high in our lives and also in the lives of others. We worship you and thank you for all that you've done. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen.